a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. to another episode of Force Ghost Coast to Coast. The last time you heard my voice, I think, it was the earliest recording I'd ever done. It was 7.11 a.m. I started recording Force Ghost. We are beating that record today. It is 6.15 a.m. here on the East Coast. I am up early because my co-host this week is an old friend, former host of this show, uh, Alice W. Castle. Hello, Alice. Hello. It's so weird being on the other side of that intro. <laughs> normally i'm the one doing the intro and i'm like but i don't what do i do do i not talk <laughs> well you talk now i mean you're you're free yeah free to talk now. um but well, welcome back thank you it's good to be back i realized that we all we all started this you know I, the original force ghost was like a uh a collection of monologues right and we started mm. that in the lead up to the force awakens and the yeah. first episode dropped i want to say it was something like Maybe even this week, four years ago, six years. How long ago what was that? Twenty four years ago. Four years ago, yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah. So, I, I saw this morning because every so often, for some reason, YouTube algorithm will be like, "Hey, do you want to watch the Force Awakens trailer?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I mean, yeah, but like, right. it's, you know, it's four p.m. on a Tuesday in 2019." <laughs> right. Um. But I, I saw it and it was like uploaded four years ago and I was like, holy shit, is that really how long it's been since that came out? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, Especially because so much has happened since then. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we are recording this uh, basically one week from right now. I'll be waking up at about this time, maybe a little bit earlier, to watch the first episode of The Mandalorian. Hell yeah. So, you know, this and is... I need to start myself out for that because I don't know how i'm gonna watch it is disney plus coming to europe early or no i, I don't even know <laughs> well i haven't even i i'm still in like may i still don't know what month i'm in sure this year has been wild so i don't really i haven't sorted myself out for when it's coming here well you have a week to I'll figure that out yeah, yeah so but anyway, we're not here to talk about that today. We're here to talk about The Empire Strikes Back. Hell Epis yeah, we are. Episode 5 in the Skywalker Saga, the second overall released Star Wars film, and in my humble opinion, the best Star Wars film still. Where does where does Empire fall for you on your current rankings of Star Wars films? Uh, I think it's still third. Because I'm the kind of person where The Last Jedi is my current favorite. Okay. Um, and then I've I've always I haven't no that's a lie I haven't always thought this but recently I've I've been the kind of person where I kind of think the original Star Wars edges out Empire in me just for a couple reasons we might get into sure um but it's still you know top three it's still very high up there it's the one i think i can go and sit down and just watch whenever i think it's my my favorite to watch see that's interesting i don't i don't think it's my favorite to watch but it's my favorite overall 
Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. The Last Jedi is is my currently second favorite Star Wars film, and mm-hmm. I think that that might always occupy that spot. I mean, look, anything else, I am open to the possibility that there can be better Star Wars films than The Last Jedi. I don't think it's sure. going to happen, but I'm open to the possibility. But Empire has been such an important part of my life for so long that I think even if there's a movie that is clearly better, I don't know if I will ever recognize that in the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's funny. We had uh, Matt Garcia on uh, last time we did one of these recap episodes, and uh, he was saying that Star Wars is his favorite. That New Hope is his favorite. But he actually mm-hmm. saw Empire first because oh, his, wow. his dad took him to the movies to see the re-release of Star Wars like a couple weeks after it came out or maybe a month after it came sure. out. And it was sold out. So he said, all right, we'll just go see Empire instead. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, one of the beauties of Empire is that you can really sit down in front of it. You can sit anyone down in front of it and they will still pick up a lot of what's going on. Yes, well, I, so I actually wanted to talk about this. So I have seen every Star Wars film in the theater because of the special editions. I was not alive mm-hmm. in 77 or in 80, and so and I was one in 83. Um, sure. But, you know, so when I saw uh, Empire, I was going with two of my friends and a, a third friend of ours was like, wait, what are you guys doing tonight? And we said, we're going to see The Empire Strikes Back. And he said, I've never seen Star Wars before. Let me come with you. And we were all kind of like, eh, you know, that this is, this is very much part two of a of a trilogy. And he was like, no, nah, I'll figure it out. And he did, and he was hooked. Like at the end of the movie, he was like, you have to tell me what happened to Han. You have to tell me. And I was like, yeah. no, you can literally go to the video store and rent Return of the Jedi right now. Like, I'm not gonna spoil this for you. Uh, so I think you're right. I think it is, even though it is very much a the second part of something. There's uh, Lucas. Not Lucas, because Lucas had probably the least to do with this film of any of the Star Wars films. Yeah, or, you know the the screenwriters and uh, and Kirshner really did a good job of creating a an accessible entry point into the series for folks who maybe didn't see the first movie, which in 2019 seems like an absurd thing. But before the advent of video stores, or at least the easy access to VCRs and cable television, etc., there's a very good chance that somebody may not have seen a movie and then seen its sequel. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so the first time I saw this film was on VHS. Um, Same. There was... I think I, I so I, I remember looking this up a couple of years ago because I realized that it was something that was, I think, unique to Europe, but it was a pre special edition VHS remaster that I want to say came out in like the late 80s or like the early 90s, maybe like 91, 92. Um, there was like a THX remaster of the original trilogy, but it wasn't the special editions no we had like, those too we had those too it, okay okay yeah cool. um so those were the ones that i saw so those i are saw the gold like, standard those are those are the best yeah those are the ones that were my original star wars um so that was that was the first time i remember seeing it um on this i remember having a tiny when i when i was younger i had one of those like 
it was like a bunk bed, but underneath was like a desk and like a chair. Sure. Uh huh. Do you know what those? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? A uh, and I bed, had, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had a tiny, like 12 inch, uh, like TV VHS VCR combi unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the tiniest square, like 12 inch across screen. And that was how I watched Star Wars for the first time. Um, and how I watched Empire for the first time. So it was kind of funny looking back on it. Like, I don't think I remember the very first time I watched it. Because I was probably like, I don't know, three or four maybe. Yeah, I don't if know exactly that... how old I was when I saw it. The, the first Star Wars that I remember is, I remember being in my parents' house. That they moved out of when I was five. So I had to have been <laughs> under five. Um and watching Return of the Jedi in the sort of uh, family room and being terrified of the Emperor's Force Lightning. That's my first Star yeah. Wars memory. But I, I must have seen the full trilogy by the time I was five years old. So sometime in a similar time frame to you, though I don't have any particular Empire memories from that early of an age. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where it kind of feels like Star Wars has kind of always been there. If you know what I mean, absolutely. Like I don't know if it was the same for you, but like, because I I don't remember the very first time I saw it, but I remember obsessing over the videotapes and just absolutely. watching them, like maybe once a week each kind of thing. I distinctly remember. I I probably told this story on Force Ghost before, but Return of the Jedi had a moment where I'd worn down the 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 actual tape. And huh. It just stopped playing at that point. Um. And so, yeah, Empire especially was the the one that I think I watched the most. And I, I think it was the the film that kind of started my obsession with sequels. Because I'm the kind of person where I've always loved the, 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 the sequel. Not always loved the sequel better than the original, but there are certain films where I think because it really, the sequel, if it's good enough, will really cut to the heart of what makes that property good, I find it much more easy to watch. And Empire Strikes Back just dives straight into the world of Star Wars. You know, you're already on Hoth. Yes. You already have all of the characters together. Um, there's that sense that they've been around each other for a while. There's that sense that they've had adventures that you haven't seen, and you're kind of catching up with old friends. Even if you've not seen the film before, you, you're getting the sense of like, Oh, these are people that know each other pretty intimately. They've spent a ton of time around each other, clearly. They care about each other. And then by the end of the first act, everything has gone to shit. You know, yes. the worst kind of things can happen. The Empire does, in fact, strike back. You know, they are, you really get the sense that the rebels are clearly on the losing foot. So the rest of the film, you just spent kind of being like, well, how the hell are they going to get out of this? Like, how the hell does this kind of resolve itself and that for me was where kind of this obsession with this film that i have comes from yeah so when i had seen this film in theaters for the special edition uh i noticed that every character when introduced on the screen has like a 15 second applause break built into their introduction yeah we, we see everybody and we're supposed to recognize them and be excited to see them and then kind of dive right in. And so, like you said, I, I think it does a really good job of getting to the heart of Star Wars very quickly. And this is something that Matt Garcia and I talked about last time, which is that 
A New Hope, in so many ways, is not just the only real standalone Star Wars movie because mm-hmm. there, there's no prerequisite knowledge that was required at the time. But also, it's the movie that has the most what ifs attached to it because there are a lot of things that that the that the saga leans into in Empire that were introduced in A New Hope. But there are lots of other things that sort of weren't followed up in the same way. And so if you love Star Wars, not just the film, if you love the property of Star Wars, you probably owe that love to The Empire Strikes Back. Because if it had made the wrong choices, there probably wouldn't be Star Wars as we know it today. Oh, for sure. I I was thinking about that this morning in terms of... Because one of the things that really fascinates me about this film is this knowledge that you know, I wasn't alive when any of these original trilogy films came out. So I've always had this kind of cultural sense that Star Wars is Star Wars as we know it. Um, but apparently there was like a bunch of, especially critics that didn't like this film when it came out um, because it was too dark, because it had no ending, because of all these things that we kind of take for granted as why it works. Um and so it's really interesting to me that it it became such a cultural phenomenon because I think yeah, if this had bombed, Star Wars would have died. You know. Yes. The original film was this massive um, pop culture buzz, but I think it was only really the success of this film that kept it going and kind of took it out of it being, you know, this late seventies space opera fad, and turned it into a genuine pop culture, like ingrained thing yeah yeah i mean I, so i had a a teacher in high school who was he's probably you know 12 or 13 years older than i am he was one of the younger teachers in high school and he knew sure. i was a big star wars fan he was a big star wars fan and one time he asked me what my favorite one was and i said it was empire and he got very mad at me and he said like you're young so you can say that but imagine being 11 years old in 1980 and going to see the empire strikes back and realizing you have to wait three years to find out what happens to han yeah, for sure. And I understand and I, I, that. I, I totally get where where that's coming from. And I can... Because I think it's... It's one of those films that has the... I can't think of a film that has a more distinct cliffhanger ending than Empire. Um... I will I will throw a recent one out there because I was actually talking about the, the biggest cliffhangers of all time recently with a friend. I would say Avengers Infinity War... Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, has, um, has a bigger one, or at least a close one. I think that's borrowing so heavily from Empire in itself. Like, the the MCU has notoriously borrowed from Star Wars. You know, there's a there was a whole thing where in their second phase, every movie had someone get their hand cut off because of Empire. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's the kind of move where if people hadn't taken to Empire going into... Return of the Jedi the way they had I don't think you know 30 something years later you know Infinity War would have been able to make that decision and know that people were going to come back yes absolutely because if, if people had come out of Empire and they'd be like oh well, that sucks you know where where's all my where's all my fun space hijinks even though this film's actually hilarious at times yes it is um if, if it had not connected with people the way it had, I think the entire pop culture landscape of the world as we know it today would be completely different. I, I, there, there is a very fascinating 
sort of um, mental uh, equation you can throw out there, which is if The Empire Strikes Back had flopped, would we even have gotten Return of the Jedi? And if if we didn't, there would be a whole generation of fan fiction about what happens in Return of the Jedi. And there are so oh, that many amazing. There, but there are so many like pieces of Star Wars lore that just would have been totally not known. Luke yeah. and Leia would never have been sisters, uh, yeah. brother and sister. You know, um, they could have ended up together. Yeah, they could have. That was that was a very real possibility at the end of, of Return of, the, of uh, Empire Strikes Back. You know, mm-hmm. um, you wouldn't know if if Vader was lying to Luke about being his father. Mm-hmm. You you wouldn't know, you know. I mean, there's 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 so many questions, and so it's really there, it's fascinating to think about what would happen if the if that film just completely tanked. Um, and like thinking about it, have you ever? I, I remember we talked about this, and like the some of the earliest episodes of Force Ghost. Have you ever read Splinter of the Mind's Eye? No, but it's actually Matt Garcia and I are going to read it for our book club next year. Hell yeah. Um. That was originally designed. That was like originally um, thought up as a potential Star Wars sequel, if they didn't get the budget to do what they wanted to do with Empire. Right. That was like their their backup. Like, um, uh, so you know, there's there's no Han and Chewie if they didn't have the money to get Harrison Ford back. Um, it all takes place entirely on one planet. You know. Like, pretty much all the sets would have looked like Dagobah from the okay. description of the planet. It's all very swampy and foresty. And it's pretty much just, you know, Luke, Leia, 3PO, R2-D2, and this, like, new character, and then Vader and a bunch of Stormtroopers. Like, it's hyper low budget. Um, and there, there's probably an alternate universe where, you know, Star Wars did well, but not that well. And Splinter of the Mind's Eye was the sequel that we got. And, you know, Star Wars would have gone down in history as this one great film with an okay sequel and no one would have thought about it again. Exactly. And it's super weird to think how, you know, the slightest change, you know, Empire is this kind of miracle film. <laughs> yes. That yeah. <laughs> that changed the entire world. Yes. All right, so so let, let, let's get into talking about the film proper a bit. Yeah. Um, so there are sort of three distinct acts in this film. More than almost any other Star Wars film, it's mm-hmm. easy to identify the three-act structure of Empire because the, the first one is on Hoth. So let's let's mm-hmm. start with Hoth. So like you said, you get the impression these characters have been hanging out for a bit. We hear Han reference another adventure that he had with Leia and presumably Luke. Um, we just get the sense that these characters have, have lived have lived together for a bit and we're starting to get our, they are starting to get a better vision of who they are both mm-hmm. as individual characters and also as a collective unit the the rebel alliance is much more of a codified thing at least it feels much more codified than it uh, than it did at the end of a new hope um definitely what's the what's the official timeline on this is supposed to be about a year between films i believe mm, i think it's more three to five years really oh, um, i'm gonna look this yeah. up now keep talking yeah um i believe that well i i don't know what the 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 original inception of what like when they they were writing it what they thought would happen in there but 
if you looked at the current kind of canon timeline, it's definitely, I think, like, three to five years. There's definitely, like, a bunch of stuff that happened. Um, you know, like, the entire Marvel Star Wars comic happened, you know. Okay, it's saying here uh, three. Yeah, it's saying, it's saying yeah. three years after the Battle of Yavin is when Yavin yeah. 4 is when it takes place. Um, okay. Enough to give them that sense of growth, you know. Um, Luke is definitely on his way to becoming a Jedi. Um, you know, the 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 scene with the, the cave in the Wampa is the first time we see him generally manipulating anything with the Force. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first time we see any character, like, straight up move something with the Force. Unless Obi-Wan does it in A New Hope. I don't think Obi-Wan does do it in, in A New Hope. Because um... I'm trying to think if he uses the Force to, like, I think he uses it to distract the stormtroopers when he's turning off the shields in the yes, Death Star. Yes, but 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 I was never sure. As a kid, I was never sure if he was manipulating something or if he was essentially throwing his voice but throwing a sound. You know yeah. what I mean? So uh, he he's definitely uh, manipulating something. Yeah. Um. But like the, the uh, nothing had been kind of codified the way that Luke reaching out to the lightsaber and moving it straight into his hand. Like that's that's you kind of get used to it. You, like you, you forget how important that is, but that's like one of the first times we saw like a force manipulation of the physical world. I think it's, and then, you know, minutes after that, we see a force ghost for the mm-hmm. first time. And that's a massive kind of addition to the world. Yes, it is. And then, I mean, you know, we, like we hear Obi-Wan as a force ghost. Yeah. In star Wars, but we don't see him at all. Um, and I think there there's a potentiality where there's a reading of that scene in, in A New Hope where it's not specifically Obi-Wan talking to him, but more Luke kind of remembering his essence. If sure. they wanted to go that route, where I think it's, it's become kind of um, cemented as Obi-Wan talking to him from the beyond because of the Force Ghost and uh, Empire. But there's, you could have very easily kind of just had it be like Luke believing in himself enough through the memory of Obi-Wan. But like, there's so many little bits in the Hoth scene that just set up this wider universe that gets explored largely in the second act of the film. Yes. Um, I think if I were to like, gun to my head, if I were to go down to it, I think Hoth is maybe if not my favorite, but at least heavily one of my favorite sequences in all of Star Wars. I think that if you took it out and just watched from the very first moment up to like the moment they leave Hoth, it's like a short film, is structurally one of the best things to ever happen to Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it gives us everything that we love about Star Wars in a very small package. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of romance, you get a little bit of Jedi mysticism, you get a little bit of sort of the, it's not a space dogfight, but it's one of the more interesting, to me, battles with spaceships that we see in Star Wars. Yeah, for sure. Um, It gives us a little bit of the friendship between the characters. Like you said, it's it's a really sort of solid one-act structure. What's really interesting is I just finished reading... um, the Alexander Freed Alphabet Squadron 
book. Oh, interesting. As well as the TIE Fighter miniseries from Marvel. Uh, mm-hmm. Alphabet Squadron, pretty good. TIE Fighter, not so good. But yeah. one of the things they talk about in there is the Empire's victory at Hoth. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to think of that as a victory because, yes, they they get the rebels out of their base. And I guess that's the point of it. But they lose some walkers and they and everyone gets away, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. What I liked about it was you sort of see you see some Imperial propaganda within there. Yeah. So I, and I like because like I, I, I rewatched the, the film last week um okay. and I, I was actually thinking about that the way the way that you know because i was watching i was like the the rebels kind of distinctly lose all their ground in here um you know they they're entirely on the back foot like i i really like the as you were saying that the the rebel alliance feels more like a real thing thanks to this movie mm-hmm. than like the yavin base kind of you only really see it through Leia interacting with the higher ups, and there's like the 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 X wing pilots and the Y wing pilots, but like it's a very small snapshot of what the Rebel Alliance is. But seeing like the dug in trenches and the entire kind of base and empire, um, especially that those kind of quiet moments where they're lined up, kind of just waiting for the walkers to appear, I think does a lot to help kind of establish what the Rebel Alliance feels like this kind of guerrilla uh, unit. Mm-hmm. And then you watch it and they get trampled on, you know? Yes. They, they only really managed to bring down one walker without, like, massive casualties. But by the time Luke brings down the second walker, all of the speeders are out of the air, and he only managed to do it because he... You know, Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight. Grappling hooks up to it and throws a grenade in. Um, which, like, his speeder's already down. His co-pilot's gone. Like, that's really the point where... And, like, the, the third walker just manages to walk through and destroy the shields and just everyone has to just book ass out of there. And it's, it's quite a dark way to start the film. <laughs> to be like, yeah, they're they're got to put up a fight but they're getting stomped on very quickly into the film i mean this whole film has has a lot of expectations not being met and plans mm-hmm. falling short yeah it's a really dark film as you said there are it some is. very funny parts of it we'll talk about yoda in a bit we'll talk about han a little bit later but for the most part this film is just every character at the beginning of the film, even after Hoth, every character has a plan for how they want the rest of the film to go, and no one, including Vader, gets what they want. Yeah. Like, every every plan goes awry in this film. Yeah. Um, every, everyone goes awry pretty quickly, too. Yeah. Like, by the end of the film, you're just kind of having to scrape together the pieces that survived. And I think that's right, one right. of the reasons why... For as much as I think the ending works, um, I remember, I can't remember who said it, but I remember reading that, like, someone had the opinion that Empire has no ending, you know, that Empire only really works in context of um, Return of the Jedi, but I think it definitely has this feeling of, like, this is all we have left, 
you know like this is like how do we deal with the empire with what we have left like we have even less than what we started with i mean everything's falling apart but there's like that little bit of hope you know i mean i I think essentially it has the same ending as the last jedi has yeah except except that leia says in the last jedi we have all we need and so there's that optimism because a character voices the optimism yeah and i I think it kind of goes inside like the i've always thought of the that shot of um luke and leia looking out into like the galaxy the nebula kind of thing from the medical frigate has that kind of unspoken like they still have each other you know yes um what whatever's left they they'll get through it together and that to me is the core of what makes star wars work yes and what's very interesting about empire structurally is that the beginning of the film is all about the rebel alliance Mm -hmm. and then we don't see them ever again no we see Luke go off to Dagobah, and we see Han and Leia trying to get to the Rebel Alliance, but never quite getting there. Um, yeah, there are just a couple of little Hoth things I want to talk about before we move off of Hoth because we do. We spent, uh, as usual, you and I can talk Star Wars. So we spent a half hour talking about the first act of the film, um, but the the uh, I want to talk about the the slicing open of the Tauntaun, which yes. as a kid was a very big deal. Oh, God, it's like, I don't think I ever quite put together until I was an adult the fact that Han was stuffing Luke inside a recently deceased animal to keep him warm. Not just like, inside the animal, like inside its its gross abdomen. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I don't think I ever quite... Like, obviously, you're watching it, and he's cutting open, and he's like, oh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. But it, it wasn't until, like, I was, like, an adult that I was like, he just put him inside that thing. Like, yep. he just scooped out his guts and let him just live inside there for until he got the tent up. And I was just like, that's wild. That's a gross-ass thing to put in a kid's movie. It is. Um, and But I also think it's it's one of the most effective bits of sensory manipulation that we have in cinema, you know mm. exactly how bad that smells. Even before yeah. Han says, and I thought they smelled bad on the outside, you watch that and your stomach just turns and you can smell how gross that is. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny because like, the thing about that, I think about, you know, some of the, the kind of gross out humor that's in Last Jedi, specifically like, the the milking of the sea cow thing sure, yeah um and like i i'm the kind of person where i think that moment of the last jedi works but i know it's kind of notorious for people that don't think it works yeah and i i think it works because it's it's in that kind of same vein of like this world is kind of gross yes you know like we always knew that star wars was kind of grotty and it was like everything's kind of run down the millennium falcon especially is like falling apart but like there's there's that kind of like underneath that kind of organic feeling to the world that is just kind of and it's just part of the 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 theming of reconnecting with that natural world through the force because then you go into dagobah and it's a swamp and it's disgusting and whatever stew thing that yoda cooks for luke looks like 
the grossest thing I've ever seen yep. eaten in a film. <laughs> and I think and, that part of part of and not to interrupt you and not to no, derail okay. the conversation, but that's part of to me why the prequels don't work as well. Mm-hmm. Because they they refuse to acknowledge the grimy nature of Star Wars. Everything is too yeah. sanitized. And like I kind of get the the why they went for that, especially in places like Coruscant, um, with like the Republic, because it, it was meant to feel kind of nice and fresh. Um, I think they could have done more to to examine like the CD kind of underbelly of that. But yeah, definitely stuff like you know, even like the swamps of Naboo never felt as gross as somewhere like Dagobah. Right. The big example that I that I always give is that if you look at the I don't even know what you call it. Nightclub pub that Obi Wan and um, Anakin chase the bounty and hunter into. What? Yeah. yeah. And attack of the clones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And clones like that. That that should feel every bit as dark and dank and mysterious as the cantina on uh, Tatooine, but it doesn't mm-hmm. at all. It feels it feels like a like a fake Star Wars bar that we're gonna see in Galaxy's Edge. Like it yeah, just it looks like a high-end real-life nightclub. Like they're watching sports, right? And they're like batting in the background, and it's like this doesn't feel as gross as it should. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but the uh, the other half thing I want to talk about uh, is uh, that well, two two quick things. First of all, is the Bacta tank gets introduced here, mm-hmm. and that's a huge bit of Star Wars lore, and I loved that idea as a kid. I just thought it was such an interesting idea. But also, mm-hmm. we get the um, what I always, just, as a kid, called like the abominable snowman on Hoth. Sure, yeah, yeah. But it's the first time in Star Wars, aside from the creature that's in the garbage disposal on the Death Star, it's the first time we get a fantastical creature that isn't somewhat humanoid-shaped. I mean, it it is it is still yeah. like a bear or whatever, you know. So it it's it is it is not um it's not exactly a humanoid, but just it's it begins to expand the universe in terms of what types of creatures are out there. Mm-hmm. You know, we will eventually get Jabba the Hutt and lots of other things, but this is the first time that you get the idea that there are wild creatures that are that are similar to like sci-fi and fantasy books that you've read elsewhere. Yeah, I mean there were the the band because I'm I'm thinking about Star Wars. There was the Bantha, which are just big hairy elephant things, more or less. Do we ever see those in a New Hope? Not the special edition. Do we? Because like the, all the examples I can think of are in the special edition, like the Dubaks and right. stuff from. I cannot, God, I cannot remember. Or did they just reference them? I don't know. I don't even um, know if they're referenced because the first time I remember hearing the word Bantha is uh, Jabba saying it. God, no, I, I'm i 90% sure Obi-Wan mentions it at some point. Oh, he might. That's true. Anyway, regardless. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like the introduction. Someone, someone will correct us. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's the internet. Somebody will correct us. Um, yeah. So um, anything else on Hoth you want to talk about before we move on to Act 2? Um, One thing. I think the, the, the scene that always got me when I was young was when they're closing the outer doors and have to leave uh Han and Luke outside. And Chewie is, screams. Yeah. That I think 
is one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars because I think it's the moment where you get a real sense of you get the sense of like the real character drama of the film where it's like you don't know if those guys are coming back you know yeah. obviously like you kind of know that they're going to be in the rest of the film but like the rest of the characters are so worried about them and like Leo won't bring herself to admit it c 3 r 2 d 2 are droids so like they can only worry so much but like that just genuine primal wail of anguish that comes from Chewbacca I think just sells this real sense of danger for the rest of the film that you don't know when a character will come back I love that yeah so much it really personalizes a film that in the beginning of I guess throughout all of A New Hope you care about individual characters, but you're more caring about the general idea of the rebellion. Yeah. And here you're caring about specific members of the rebellion. So, yeah, okay. So, Act 2 is um, my favorite Star Wars ever. I love Act 2 of this film. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an act that is somewhat maligned due to some timeline issues here. Yeah. And, you know... I think that there is a way to maybe square that circle, but it involves either the Han Leia journey taking way longer than we think, or Luke being Luke such is a there quick for like study. Three days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or Luke being such a quick study as as a Jedi. But we get let, let's let's talk about Han and Leia first because that's the stuff we're gonna have less to say about, I would presume. But we see yeah. Han and Leia on the run from the Empire. They hide in some garbage. They almost get eaten by a giant. Uh, Basically, a cave sandworm from Beetlejuice. Um, yeah, and a, a very Dune type uh, type creature there, and uh, and we get the the sort of real the real markings of the Han and Leia romance. Mm-hmm. What about this sequence works well for you? For me, I think this is a sequence that I think in the film is the the most purely comedic um i think it's pure kind of high action high adventure and i think it works because i remember um watching the film with irvin kershner's commentary and he talks about using it to always cut back to um away from like the more quiet kind of contemplative stuff on dagobah like whenever they cut back something is going wrong right um either like the empire's right on top of them they are having to get away or they're in the middle of the asteroid field or like um minox are there <laughs> minox are there or the caves right or it's even cutting back to like the empire and all of a sudden there are bounty hunters there you know you it's it's the the real kind of heightened action part of the film but it's also where you know tensions are so high that all of the characters are kind of snapping at each other you know, everyone's getting really annoyed at C-3PO. Um, you get some of the best, I think, one-liners in the franchise there. Like, uh, there's obviously never tell me the odds, but, you know, all, there's that feeling that this is, I think, where that kind of sense of the, the high-octane action-ness that some of this film is remembered for is in these these moments. Yes, I agree with that. This is, it's also during this act that we get the most Vader that we've gotten so far. Yeah. And, and, and we sort of see how he is... Um, 
we begin to see his role within the Empire. Because in, in A New Hope, he more or less appears to be the boss of the Empire. Yeah. And we recognize here that that is certainly not the case. He is not the boss mm-hmm. of the Empire. He is basically middle management of the Empire. Yeah. Uh, which I remember, you know, again, as a kid, you don't recognize that stuff. But I remember when I sort of figured that out, it, it blew my mind because so much of my childhood was spent just in abject fear of Darth Vader. And to recognize mm. that he's really not that big of a deal is pretty funny. Yeah, especially because, like, um, I, I I really have enjoyed uh, the, the stories that Marvel um, have kind of placed in the gap between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Um, uh, especially Karen Gillan and Salvador Larocca's Darth Vader series, where, like, one of the things that the it does really well is show that the Emperor kind of blames the Death Star's destruction on Vader. Mm-hmm. Um, that he's kind of like, I, this is our big thing. Like, I've spent 20 goddamn years destroying this thing, and a farm boy destroyed it? Like you're you're meant to be my guy, um, and so it's really funny, kind of going into the film with the recontextualization that Vader's just like, God, I just have to not screw up just once, please. And then he constantly, let this... and then everyone lets him down. <laughs> yeah, like I can't let this goddamn like it's basically like a space minivan, like get away from me. Like a space VW like van that just cannot be caught by this math, and he's just like God. I can't. These everyone is incompetent. I hate it. I'm just gonna choke everyone. Get me some bounty hunters. I don't care. Um, it kind of goes from this like real kind of concentrated that he's like manipulating everything and planning everything, and you kind of see like Anakin underneath just being like, I hate this. This sucks. I need to kill someone. <laughs> Like you get yes. that the like episode two like whiny Anakin just been like screw this I hate it I'm just gonna go sit in my meditation chamber leave me alone <laughs> yes um but you know the, the sort of the big part of of the second act that that we all want to talk about is Luke on Dagobah yeah so this this sequence I think more than any other sets the stage for what Star Wars has become. Because this is where we get so much of the information download about the Jedi, more than what Obi-Wan has given Luke sort of in, in A New Hope. We get, we, we just get, we get so much more Jedi stuff. And mm-hmm. I am totally guilty of being the Star Wars fan who prefers the Jedi stuff over the space dogfighting. I am much more into sure. the mythology than I am the, the battles and all of that. And all mm-hmm. that really begins here. But we see Yoda, and Yoda's hilarious, and I I always, I get mad when people don't like that part of Yoda, but what yeah. I always say is that Yoda's been alone on this planet for how long, talking mm-hmm. maybe to Force Ghosts, but really to not many people. Think about how giddy he must it, have been just to be around people again. It'd be like 24 years. Yeah. It's like, it's like my entire life. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's been on this planet where he's talked to, you know... Probably Qui Gon, um, for all the conversation he is, um, and like snakes, and Obi Wan for the last three years maybe. Yeah, um, and like obviously like Yoda's 
what over 900 years old um i i'm not i get why people look at yoda who has a sense of humor and empire and don't like prequel yoda because he's very self-serious um but i think yoda seems to be the character where he he's able to kind of change to his surroundings right um i don't think it's an inconsistency to have yoda who is like the jedi grandmaster be a bit more self-serious during a time of war um he's obviously not going to be running around making cracks and stealing people's foods hmm. when you know there's a galactic war going on outside um but i like the the fact that he clearly he he clearly knows looks coming because obi-wan has probably helped him arrange it yes um so his immediate thought is i just want to see how this kid reacts to someone trying his patience because that's his whole thing is 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 this kid ready or is he too um is he too reckless? Is he too stubborn? Is he too old to kind of accept this training that's all about letting go and being selfless? Um, how much of his father does he have in him? And so he just kind of sits there to push buttons. Um, and I think it's a great kind of, even in the grander context of, you know, currently all eight films of the Skywalker saga, I think... Yoda's one of my favorite characters because of that, because he he knows what people need in that moment. Yes. Not only that, what I love about the scene is I think for the most part, every character that we've met so far in Star Wars is more or less who we instantly take them to be. Yeah. This is the first, and there's another couple of characters coming up in this film that are going to be similar, where it's not so it's not so clear who these people really are. Um, yeah. And so I, I like the, amb- the ambiguity there. It's something I, I appreciate. Um, and and also just you know, again, when when we first see this film, for a lot of us, we don't know what it means to be a Jedi. We think the Jedi means a lightsaber. Yeah. And here we see Yoda doing impossible shit with with the Force, lifting stuff. Mm. Um, we see the sort of the visions in the cave. Uh, you know, we see all sorts of just really very very interesting bits of Star Wars lore that that has that has carried on for a very long time, and we get yeah. all of that here. Um, yeah. I think Yoda has here the most important line in terms of like codifying what the force and what it like the the use of the force and what the Jedi represent. Um, and it's my probably one of my favorite lines in all of Star Wars. It's the one that I kind of keep going back to, which is the luminous luminous, luminous beings, beings are, are we? Being, yeah, all this crude matter. Um, which in and of itself is a very like gnostic kind of reading. Is is this real like separation of like the the soul stuff the kind of personality of a person this kind of higher plane existence where your consciousness exists separate from the body you inhabit right um which is then kind of continued in the idea that your consciousness can then exist in the world after your death because of the force um and i think you kind of cut to the heart of what 
the the kind of spiritual aspects of the film are really trying to explore with Yoda um and with that that line in particular yeah um uh, I don't know if you've seen that there's going to be a big 2020 book and comic event called Project Luminous yes so. I I'm very excited to to know what that entails yes agreed um so anyway we should just we should kind of fast forward here because again we can talk this movie all day long but we're, um, we're taking a while yeah uh, but so at the end of this act we see luke basically get a psychic blast that tells him shit's going down with your friends mm-hmm. and he decides he's going to leave and yoda is is not pleased with this um and this is an interesting question i have i have seen two different readings of this I have seen people talking about how Luke needed to leave mm-hmm. in order to become the Jedi that he becomes. And I've seen people argue that if Luke had stayed, he'd have become an even greater Jedi. Where do you fall on this? So I think... Mm, I think he would have become an even greater Jedi, but I think he would also have fallen into the trap of what kind of made the Jedi fall apart in the first place, which is its its, its quest for detachment, um, emotional detachment, its quest to, to eradicate the dark side in people um, and not embrace the full spectrum of light within people um, kind of leads to a sort of callousness. Um, you know, for all that we all love Obi-Wan and Yoda, they're really quick to sacrifice not just uh han but also luke's sister and they know she's his sister yep and they're like ah they'll be fine um what you need to do is learn how to lift rocks (laughs) um and i think that's why um luke's mentality in the last jedi means so much which is that he looks at the history of the jedi and this kind of need to to be so emotionally detached from from the world around them in order to somehow care more that if you if you care about nothing in particular you can therefore care about everything all over right instead of allowing your specific attachments to the people that you care about allow you to do specific good acts um cuz like i i don't know if if luke had stayed on Dagobah, he would, probably would have had a more attuned connection to the Force far quicker than he did. He would have probably ended up incredibly powerful, probably unto Yoda. Um, but what he would have allowed to happen, I think, would weigh on his conscience too much for him to really be able to bring himself back to the person he was before. I think the the actual essence of Luke Skywalker would have been lost and we would have been left with some incredibly callous seeming um person who allows his friends to die. Like that that to me is the most important aspect of of Luke's life is not the just the fact that, you know, in Jedi he's able he's willing to like throw down his lightsaber to protect his father, but also here he's willing to put his friends and family above all else in his life um regardless of what danger it puts him in 
he has to do something more than hoping that whatever he does in the future works out. Um, so I think he would have. He's he's far more active than any Jedi that we know, other than Anakin. Um, and I think it's it's a really interesting parallel that he he is just as stubborn and headstrong, but he doesn't have the Jedi Order continually holding over his head that he's being bad at being a Jedi. When I think really what Luke and Anakin represent as a better kind of Jedi. Yes, I, I agree with all of that. I, I also uh, wonder what is the um, like. So Luke essentially goes there and doesn't save his friends. Yeah, he goes he there. Still, and f- he still fails. He he fails, and I wonder if. You know, he he can't know that, right? He can't know that going into it. But I wonder if there's any sort of argument to be made. Well, if Luke had stayed, he'd have been a better Jedi. He'd have defeated Vader more thoroughly and the Emperor more thoroughly. He there wouldn't have been as much loss of life. He was mm-hmm. just impetuous and left. But yeah. I but but I, I agree with with your take in that I don't think that makes for a very good Jedi. Nor do I think yeah. that makes for a very good movie. No, if if he was like got that uh, force vision and was like, ah, you know what, I'm gonna chill here, and then it just cuts to you know, Leia is imprisoned on Espen for the rest, like the next however many years, you know, uh, Han is just a wall ornament. Like there's no like the film ends and everyone's split up and just depressed. I don't think I think that. It's more noble to try and fail than to not try at all. Yes. Um, regardless of the fact that you're probably not trying in order to try again later. Like there's there's something about that that needs to um say here and now someone needs my help, I have to do something. Yes. That to me is the core of what the film is trying to say. Absolutely agree. Um so so you know, while Luke is leaving Dagobah, Han and Leia are in Bespin, the Cloud City, my favorite locale in all of Star Wars. Interesting. Um, I love the design of Cloud City. I want to live there one day. Um, it, is, it is wonderful. Yes. Um, and we meet Space Pimp, Lando Calrissian, <laughs> the character <laughs> that is so hilariously smooth and... Uh, he he is like I I really believe that a lot of '90s hip hop swagger is based on Lando. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, because like I I so my one of my favorite things is the the uh, what am I trying to say here? Basically, because I I didn't know Billy D Williams as an an actor before seeing him as Lando. Same. I. I don't know how much of Lando is just based on his personality as a person, because now I just know him as Lando. Right. So he, even he when walks he's... around as Lando now, even though he's not yeah. Lando. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's really, I, I really wish I could have went back and kind of saw people see this character for the first time, and if they're going like, "Wow, this guy is really cool," I feel like, "Oh, that's just Billy D." You know, he's just, he's just being space Billy D. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing because he's 
He's one of my favorite aspects of this movie. And it, it really kind of turns this whole sequence turns everything that we've just talked about on its head where Cloud City is not gross at all. Cloud City is actually immaculate and kind of all senses. You know, it has the kind of seedy underbelly that we talked about, but it's kind of only, you know, hinted at. Um, and, you know, it has this really smooth and suave, but like morally ambiguous character, you know, entirely completely different from his first impressions of him, but who still kind of has a heart of gold. It's, it takes everything that the film has kind of let you get used to over the course of the film and just kind of flip it on its head. And it's just, chef kiss. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he's also the first bit that we've seen in this film, in this series, rather, of um, sort of people who aren't naturally i guess han is sort of the the rogue that we meet who isn't like who isn't neutral good right in this mm-hmm. he's he's sort of you know he, luke uh luke is very much like a standard heroic character as is leia uh vader and the emperor up to this point are very black and white bad guys mm-hmm. um han is a rogue with a heart of gold but you get the sense that han really he's more bluster and more talk than he is action. But, yeah. but Lando is legitimately a character who, do, who, who sometimes you get the impression has to do very bad things to, to do, to basically support his vision of right and wrong. Yeah. To, to help his people out to do his job. He has to be a bastard sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Billy D plays that character really well because initially we see a very, very smooth politician and then we see a very, very, uh, you know, um, shrewd politician. And then at the end of the film, we see a very loyal friend. Yeah, I think that's what makes the character work so well is that despite the fact that he... You know, he he betrays Han and Leia, um, and there is that kind of initial, like even the audience feels that complete sting of betrayal initially. There there is that kind of backup of like he's doing it to save the people that live there. You know, he's trying to do it to keep them under, like away from being living under the spoke of the Empire. He's trying to keep his authority there because he can let them live how they want to live, and it's only once that is then threatened by Vader being like, I can change this deal whenever I want. You know, I, I, I have all the power here that he kind of goes, maybe I have made the wrong move. Maybe instead of placating them until they go away, like like actually backing up my friends and, and fighting back against them is the overall better choice. And like that, I don't think, I don't see it as like flip-flopping, but like as as reevaluating things as things progressively get worse like we were saying like all of his plans continually go to shit over the course of like a day and a half and he every every turn of it he has to be like christ everything's falling apart okay if i try this maybe this will work right and you can kind of see him trying to continually work that out in the moment and i think that's part of why he feels so long lasting even beyond the fact that he's the coolest pat like coolest man in the galaxy 
<laughs> is that you see him trying to work out things for the best. Yes. And you see him, like, he's initially a very, he's initially a character that I have a hard time identifying with because you see him as this very powerful, very debonair, suave man. And that's just not, you know, I'm a schlubby guy with a beard. You know, so yeah. it's, I don't really see myself in that. But then you see his world start to fall apart and he becomes a very sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Lando. Um, he's the grass. The the sequence that follows between the Luke, you know, I, I love I love that the Han and Lando reconnection, <coughs> which we're not at the time. We don't know how long it's been since they last saw each other, and mm-hmm. we still don't really know that. Now we see that we see them at Solo at the end of Solo. We don't know if they've had encounters after Solo or not. Yeah, you know, um, but. My f- I certainly my- hope they have. I hope they and have him. too. Please make a sequel. Yes, or at least a Lando TV series series in Disney yeah. Plus. I'm totally oh, fine. Please with that. God. Yeah. Um. So uh, there there are three sequences I want to bring up that I, I that I really love from this from this uh, third act of the film. The first is the scene where Lando reveals that Vader is there, and the door mm-hmm. opens and. Han fires at him and Chewie yells and Vader grabs the gun from across the room. That's just a beautifully executed scene. Stops a blaster bolt with the palm of his hand. Yes. Like underrated moment as he like he just fires a blaster bolt in the palm of his hand and it just evaporates. Yep. It's great. It's a wonderful sequence. And um, it's also very funny to me because they're sitting at like a dining room table. Yeah, there's going to be a meal eaten, and Vader is not either going to be sitting there watching them eat because yeah. he, he doesn't have access to his mouth, or like him lifting up his mask to get a piece of chicken in there. You know, it's just a funny yeah. idea. Obviously, they don't really eat, but it was always funny to me. So there's that sequence, and sort of uh, piggybacking off of that one. This is not one of my three, but piggybacking off of that, I love the sequence of um, of Chewie trying to put three uh, PO back together. Oh yeah, I just yeah. love. First of all, I feel like for Chewie, it's any port in a storm, right? Any friend he can find right now, even if it's the obnoxious three oh, yeah. PO, he's gonna go with that one. Um, I love that sequence. He just needs someone. Yeah, he just needs somebody at that at that moment. Uh, obviously, there's the amazing "I love you, I know" Han Leia moment, mm-hmm. which I feel like we don't have to talk that much about because everybody knows how great that sequence is. Yeah, like there, there's. I was kind of worried going into this that there was kind of because there's a lot of moments and and Empire was like how do you say something that hasn't been said a million times before right um, which I'm glad we actually managed to find a bunch to talk about because we yeah. always do yeah um, but yeah this is certainly a moment where everyone knows everything that went into this moment it's one of the most iconic just scenes in all of cinema mm-hmm. um, it's just great I love it. It's, it's beautifully it's everything shot. Everything I love about Han Solo. Yeah, it's beautifully shot. It is. Um, it is set up. I mean, I I love Chewie sort of freaking out, and then Han having to say to him like, "The princess, you have to take care of her now." Just sort of giving giving him his marching orders for the next mm-hmm. however much time. I love that. Everything about it is just wonderful. It's it's a wonderful wonderful sequence. Um, it's also I love I love how easily Star Wars 
makes mythology feel normal and makes science fiction feel normal. Like the idea of freezing someone in carbonite is a crazy idea that we just kind yeah. of accept pretty easily because it's well explained. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. Um, it's actually one of my favorite aspects of like the 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 whole kind of third act is that it, it hinges around this like even in universe this thing that kind of makes no sense like even lando's just like how the hell is this guy going to survive this like this right, is yeah. <laughs> the wildest plan in the world but because it's vader he's just like it's gonna work everybody just like all right fine yes, lord vader don't don't choke me um but yeah um it's fantastic there is there is a my my favorite thing about this scene is there's this one like stock kind of sound effect in the background um that has shown up in a bunch of films since um it's just one of the sound effects of the carbonite freezing machine and every time we hear it it's specifically in the edward norton incredible hulk especially because i every time i hear it it's in the like bottle processing plant it's just in the background i'm like that's a carbonite sound effect (laughs) every time um and then the third sequence I want to talk about, obviously, is the Vader-Luke lightsaber duel, which yes. is the best. It's so good. It's, it's the, the best lightsaber fight it in is. all of Star Wars. It is. It's the most emotional. It has the best setting. It has the mm-hmm. best lighting. Oh, my goodness. The lighting and cinematography. It's... And, Mwah. like, the just, you know, the, the dialogue there, you know... Vader's like calm taunting, I think is the best. Uh-huh. Um, because I, I I always love uh is it Obi-Wan has taught you well, but you're not a Jedi yet. Yes. Just the way James Earl Jones says that and how you know you're talking about the line, Vader's almost always, especially in that initial part, in pure silhouette. Yep. You know, there's the the that initial face off where um look ascends the stairs vader's just black he's just a shape and you know looking nice the lightsaber and then slowly like after like a full beat vader's lightsaber just extinguish uh, ignites out of the darkness and it's ah it's it's perfect it's so well paced it's so it builds on itself ah it's the gold standard it is uh, we have nothing to say about the I Am Your Father reveal that hasn't been said 400 times. Yeah, but... it's, it's great. It's one of the most iconic elements of film history. Yes. Um, it, it's a moment that changed pop culture forever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it can't really be overstated how much that immediately became a touchstone for pop culture that that one line um even the bastard dies no i am your father right exactly um it's such an important line that people fuck it up all the time no they they say look i am your father he yeah. says no i am your father yeah. like even i got it mixed up <laughs> uh, um it's great it is it is it's it's because the the one thing i will say about it is i believe in the script that was like uh everyone else was given apart from like mark hamill and kirshner and like lucas was obi-wan killed your father and if that was like the actual twist 
I think it would have ruined the movie. I agree. Like th- that that one change walks a fine line between oh my god, everything we know is a lie because Vader is his father, and that creates so much more intense dynamic between the two. To oh, Vader's still just a generic bad guy, but now Obi Wan is as well. Right, ruined yes. ruined movie. I agree completely. Um, perfect choice. Yeah. And so after that, we get some really nice stuff with Luke reaching out to Leia via the Force. Mm. And we begin to see... This is the first time... Obviously, we've seen... um, We have seen that Luke is a better lightsaber fighter since leaving Yoda. But this is the first time that we really see him exploring what it is to be a Jedi that isn't just lightsabers and lifting rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's great. We see them get away. Both uh, we we see Lando have to double back for Luke, and he's not happy about it. But yeah. Chewie's gonna I kill him. <laughs> one of my favorite aspects of the scene is as they're flying off. Um, Luke is still like in the bed, um, and Vader contacts them, mm-hmm. and they have that moment. And Luke immediately answers, "Father." Yep. Like it's it's already there. Like it's already you know the, the this whole idea of set your feelings you know it to be true sounds like a taunt i think but i think genuinely in that moment luke knows that he's telling the truth yes i think the like audience he's already takes, the, it takes the audience longer than it takes luke yeah like he's he's able and willing to like kind of search that part of himself and know that it, it just feels right and it's not until for the audience until he goes and asks yoda is darth vader my father like he has to have that outside confirmation in order for the audience to to know that vader isn't lying but like the the fact that they they chose for him to say that so quickly afterwards i think is like a real indication of how 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 in tune with his feelings he actually is in that moment yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so that's The Empire Strikes Back. I, I think it's a remarkable film. I, I can't wait to watch it again. Every time I finish watching it, I think, like, oh, man, that's just the best. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I watched it last week, and it's, it still holds up. And, you know, as much as we will rag on the special editions, I think one of the good things about Empire being the film that George Lucas had the least involvement in directing is that he has messed with it the least over the right. years. There is very little in the film that he has fucked with. Yeah. So actually watching it on Blu-ray films immaculate. Um, you know, the, the only thing they've really changed is how the emperor looks. They actually got Ian McDermott to right. kind of show up and, and have the, the hologram look like, you know, Ian McDermott's Empire Emperor, as opposed to like the weird amalgamation of like an old woman with a chimpanzee eyes, <laughs> or however they did it. This, I oh, this the weirdest uh, story about how they they made that look like that in the original. Yes. Um, and then they overdubbed um, Boba Fett with Tamara Morrison. Yeah. Because Boba Fett's now Jango Fett's clone son instead of just a random guy. Right. Which we'll we'll talk about another day. Yes, we will. Uh, Alice, where can folks find you on the internet if they want to hear more of your always correct opinions? 
my always correct opinions live on Twitter at, at Alice W Castle. Um, and that's mostly where I exist right now. Um, you can also find me at Parhelion Press, um, P-E-R-H-E-L-I-O-N Press, uh, where I post my poetry. Um, but yeah, mainly Alice W Castle on Twitter. It's good to have you back, my friend. We have to thank you very much. It's we're gonna to have we're gonna have to talk like maybe in January about uh, Rise of Skywalker. Oh hell yes! So, I will. I anticipate having a lot to say about that. I have I, my tickets booked for the IMAX triple bill. It's the day after my birthday. I've oof. never been more excited. Uh, I'm not doing. The, I'm. I'm just doing. I'm just doing the regular standard projection the night of and i'll see imax in a couple of days or weeks later yeah. um i love i i'm a sucker for imax so as soon as i could get and i was just like hell yeah the problem is there are only a couple of imax theaters around here and they sell out instantly so sure that makes a lot of sense anyway you can find me on twitter at brian it's an app the show is at force ghost c2c we'll be back uh, actually starting with this episode we are weekly until the rise of skywalker so check back next Friday for more. And remember, the Force will be with you always.